Welcome to our podcast here at Hope United Church. To access the live stream of our services, along with other resources and information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. We're in the promise of the Holy Spirit. This is the Upper Room Discourse, as we know. This goes on for three or four chapters. There are very few other talks, no one else really is speaking, there's a couple of questions, but this is Jesus coming to the end, this is the last few hours of Jesus, he's walking there before he's arrested, and then subsequently crucified the next day, so he's in this last day, and it's like he's pouring out his heart to the 11 disciples who are still with him, uh, in the upper room after they've had the supper, Judas is as we know, has betrayed him. So we're going to just read here from uh, verse 15 and bring it down a bit uh, for last week and then we're going to read, we're going to kind of open them up uh, from 19 to 24. Next week we will conclude this part of the upper room and Jesus leaves the upper room and then he heads to the garden and we talk about Jesus, he's praying, still talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, but here we go, John 14, 15 to 24. If you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then we're on to these new verses, verse 19. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live you will also live. At that, at that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world, Jesus answered and says to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Isn't that beautiful? He who does not love me does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. Now, if you don't understand the word or anything like that, or you're, don't be in church, excuse me. <laughs> Better than that than doing, sniffling all the way through. Yeah. Uh, it seems like a bit of a riddle almost that, doesn't it? Uh, so last week, anyway, we started this section from the Upper Room Discourse, the final discourse, the final conversation that Jesus has with the, the disciples. And I said last week, the Holy Spirit and the teaching of the Holy Spirit has truly been poor in the church. Um, for me, it was practically non-existent, the teaching of the Holy Spirit. A sound teaching of the Holy Spirit. I never witnessed it. And any of you who have been in church that has not been more a reformed church, a, 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 a sola scriptura church, you would have the same experience of the Holy Spirit. Maybe different, you've been taught different. Pneumatology is the, the study, pneuma, spiritology, uh, the, 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 so it's spirit teaching, uh, pneuma theology. Um, uh, so the study of the Holy Spirit or the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And I said last week, the traditional churches mostly ignored it. The charismatic churches mostly abused it. The Pentecostal churches over-categorized it, which I never said last week, but that's certainly true. It's can almost pigeonhole it. 
And the modern pragmatic church predominantly doesn't need it. That's the way it's kind of been. And I've been part of the kind of Pentecostal charismatic church when I first got saved, so it was really abused. Uh, it was more about experiencing something. You know, and, and the modern church is a bit like, I've had an experience with God. I've had a, what, what, what experience? I've had an experience with God. That's a, that's a very modern church statement, that I've had a God experience. Uh, but being part of the charismatic kind of Pentecostal, it was mostly abused or misused at, at best uh, in the modern pragmatic church then, but I, we were very much part of and sat under that kind of teaching. It was never really taught because... Because the word was never spoke about, really. The word was never exegeted. So therefore, you had programs and means. It was almost like the Holy Spirit was the, the cousin that you never quite get to know. <laughs> it's like no, no part of the Trinity at all. So due to how it deals with, and due to how the kind of modern church deals with sanctification, you know, the modern church deals with sanctification with positive affirmation. So it deals with discipling people by helping you feel better about yourself, by helping you believe in yourself more, by helping you believe in your dreams. What's your dream? That's how the modern church kind of tries to equip you. Uh, and predominantly, the goal of the equipping you is so that they're able to build a mega church. That's the kind of goal, so that they can have this massive church. So the, the, the teaching of the Holy Spirit is, is, is non-existent. No, now, if somebody's listening, I'd be like, well, I, 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 I've heard it. I have never heard it. Never heard it uh, taught well. I've heard that. I heard that. I, I said last week, I've heard a, a mega church leader. You would know exactly who he was if I mentioned his name, uh, but I won't. And I heard him teaching for an hour and 20 minutes on the Holy Spirit, and I can't remember a word he said. I can't remember a word he says, but I can remember the big eagle on the screen. I cannot remember a word he said. Uh, and this truly causes, what, what, what causes that? Well, poor, weak, lazy approach to even understanding the word. But Sinclair Ferguson says, and I'm not sure if it was his words quoting or another's he was talking about. Um, but as regards to the word in the Holy Spirit, he says this, with the word... With the word without the spirit, we dry up. With the spirit without the word, we blow up. But we both, we grow up. <laughs> so we can, if you have the word without the Holy Spirit, you'll dry up. So someone looking at God's word and they're not a believer, it will make, it will not equip them in any way whatsoever if they've not got the Holy Spirit. Somebody who's fully the spirit but not the word will blow up. You know, so you think of the charismatic stuff, you know, they don't know anything about the word, but they can certainly have a flake out experience and all sorts of stuff happen. So it takes the spirit and the word for us to grow up. And Jesus promises the Holy Spirit here to the disciples, uh, another helper, he says, a comforter. The paraclete, uh, advocate is a best, better word. Uh, I, think, I think John Owen says this, it, because the Holy Spirit doesn't always comfort. So if we just call the Holy Spirit the comforter, it's not really fully accurate because sometimes the Holy Spirit doesn't comfort. Sometimes the Holy Spirit's challenging. Maybe the comfort will come, but sometimes the Holy Spirit's really convicting rather than comforting. Uh, 
But he says that the Holy Spirit guides us. The Spirit comforts us. And the Holy Spirit restrains us. So it guides us. The Holy Spirit comforts us. And the Holy Spirit restrains us. And he says a lot more than that. So truly the best definition is one who stands for the word paraclete or the comfort is one who stands alongside and becomes an advocate who will lead us to all truth. Uh, the primary purpose of the work of the Holy Spirit is to lead us to all truth in whom Christ is and to help us fulfill then that mission of God and predominantly that work is done by helping us understand the word. Without the Holy Spirit, you will never be able to understand the word fully. Uh, to bring all things into remembrance as we'll close with next week. Again, John Owen says, the key is to distinguish the direction of the spirit of grace from the spirit of the world, end quote. And that is just a tiny snippet of what he says. It doesn't really even do justice. To fulfill and complete the mission of God or it's known as the, the Great Commission, and the Great Commission, as we know, that we go into the world and we preach the gospel, baptising everybody in the name of the Father, Son. It's the Great Commission. It's, but the, it's not just about evangelism, the Great Commission. Uh, it's also to disciple people. Uh, so the Great Commission is to, yes, evangelise, uh, but it's also to disciple people and bring people to maturity so that they will obey all what Christ has taught us. And John Owen is writing this gospel. Uh, John, sorry, no John Owen, getting carried away there. John is writing this gospel full of the Holy Spirit. He's writing it, but it's fully God-breathed. It's the onanostes, it's the God-breathed word. So God's breathing, speaking through John, Apostle John, as he writes this. Uh, so God breathed out through him. Why? Because the Spirit dwells within him. Then, no, no when John was having that experience in the upper room, John never wrote John from the upper room because he was not, by that point, fully the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus didn't take a, or Jesus didn't just take a place of sin and give us eternal life, but also he gave us the Spirit. Uh, he'll not leave us as orphans. Also, it says he'll make a home with every believer and bring to completion the work Jesus began. And this Spirit is no open to anyone. So the Holy Spirit's no open to anyone. It's the gift of God we receive when we first believe. He dwells within us. I've been in Pentecostal charismatic meetings way back where unbelievers were being slain in the Spirit. I kid you not. In fact, it was more important to trying to get them to fall down in the Spirit and they did not even know who Christ was. That's impossible. That's impossible. So you'd have people, oh, oh, oh. and what you would end up getting, and this is some of the crazy stuff that I was running about, what you would get is, you would get somebody who was, let me just say it, dead needy. Can I just say it? Really, really needy. Coming into church and everybody would be having a, an experience and they would want to feel part of it, so they would just imitate that they were having the experience without even having a talk about the gospel. As believers, we have his righteousness, we have his victory, we have his nature. However, we also have the old man, which is 
why we need the Holy Spirit. We need to, we've got, when we get saved, we instantly receive the Holy Spirit at that moment. It's not a separate event, which is taught predominantly again in charismatic and Pentecostal church. It's you get saved and then you're going to have a Holy Spirit meeting and you get baptised in the Holy Spirit as if it's a separate event. It's not, it's the same time, it's the exact same time. No, it has to be at the exact same time. And the reason it has to be at the exact same time is, is because there's no way that you would know who Jesus was without the Spirit telling you. <laughs> it would be impossible for you to know who Jesus was. So if I had to ask you before you get saved, had you heard of Jesus? Yes. Had you ever prayed even to Jesus? Yes. Had you said, no, Jesus loves me. Yes, I know. Because the Bible tells me, you maybe have even heard that or said it. So do you believe, I believe in Jesus? No, I believe in Jesus. So that's not the That doesn't mean you say you're saved. But see, the thing is, see the minute that you get saved, the second you get saved, at that moment, it's not even after, it's the same time. It's, it illuminates, like that's, you're baptizing the Holy Spirit there and then because that's how you know you're saved. That's how you know that Jesus is real and he's alive. So it can't be an event that happens later. So who's, who's gave you that experience of the Holy Spirit then? Who's gave you that illumination? You. But as we go on in our journey, just as the disciples, we also have the old man. Ephesians 4, remember, we've done the study, we'll go to it now. Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. This I say, therefore, and testify, Apostle Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Remember what Ephesus was like. Ephesus was full of, it was uh, very worldly, very fleshy. The whole city was corrupt, false gods, all sorts of stuff. And Paul is here saying to believers that you, you should no longer walk in those ways as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Futility meaning uh, in a way that doesn't produce any good results. Uh, that means more than that, but that's enough for the time being. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them. Because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to the work of lewdness and uncleanliness with all greediness. But you have not so learned, this is to the believer, you have not so learned about Christ that way. You didn't learn about Christ going about your worldly ways. We're teaching almost in the modern church, you can, you can learn who Christ is in, a, in a, a worldly way. You may have a worldly idea of who Christ is, but you'll never know Christ by approaching him in a worldly way. You'll never get to know him that way. You have not so learned about Christ that way if you indeed have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Christ. And then here it says this, so that there is still a work in progress that we put off concerning our former conduct. The old man which goes, grows corrupt according to his deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man and it's telling us that we put on the new man. So it's the Holy Spirit working with us but they're also, it's not without our obedience. That we put on the new man which was created according to God in true, true righteousness and holiness. So without the Holy Spirit, we would not experience moral conviction. There'd be no moral conviction without the Holy Spirit. That's why people are no saved don't feel guilty. They sometimes can feel guilt, but it won't be at the same level as what a believer will feel guilt or shame 
or remorse or embarrassment, whatever you want to call it, and truly be convicted of what we see as right and wrong. This is a great gift of the Holy Spirit. It convicts us of what's right and wrong and brings us up into a kind of deep conviction of what's right and what's wrong. Of course, we are no always fully conscious of that in us. And John Owen talks a lot about that, the consciousness and that. that no, sometimes, sometimes, I suppose it'd be like, it'd be like when it says about the apostles that they're full of the Holy Spirit, they were really conscious of the Holy Spirit, but sometimes that can be really dulled as the old man seems to kind of override this new man in our minds and our hearts. So here we have this mix. We have the nature of Christ, a new nature, but we also have to put off our old nature and the Holy Spirit works in us to accomplish that. And by doing so, we could become more equipped to fulfill the calls and purposes of God. And a very practical note here, just to kind of show you what this looks like. If you're still acting and behaving constantly in all the ways you used to behave before you were saved, rants, <laughs> meltdowns, crazy things happen and that's happening all the time and it's no change whatsoever. <laughs> I don't want to say this. There's a problem here. But what the Holy Spirit does for that is, is you start to become convicted of that and you go, that's no right. Now, often what happens is when we step into the flesh, we wrestle with that terribly. No, no. And one of the greatest things you can do is when you're having an argument with somebody or if somebody's losing the plot, one of the best things you can do is ask them or talk, start talking about Jesus right there and then. Don't start arguing with them about their worldly problem. No, don't start saying, you're a nutter, you're crazy, you've lost the plot, you're off your head, you're no changing, you're this, you're that, you're a madman, you're a madwoman, you're this. That, that doesn't help. What you want to do is, is you want to, because you want to bring the, you want to bring God into that conversation. So you want to turn around and say, so I'm like, is that fitting behaviour for somebody that walks with a Bible under their arm towards church? See, that's a game changer. It's going to be, if you're a true believer, it's going to be really hard for you to keep shouting and bawling like a madman or woman. Do you understand? In a practical sense, you don't want to get into a worldly debate with that. Now, what often happens is that we start to get into a... Now, if you're speaking to a non-believer, you're not going to be able to stop them. Wild horses are not going to be able to stop them. You maybe just need to take a step back and go, I'll be back later. You know, you're maybe it's better leaving. But if you're, if you're debating your husband, your wife, your friend or whatever, and it's in that, you, you want to bring in God into that because you're wanting, you're wanting to remind them that they're a new creation. And if it's you, the same thing. But often this is where we can wrestle as people and as believers that we can, it's, it's almost impossible to, to fully sin. It's, it is impossible to be fully walking in sin while your conscience of the Holy Spirit is really alive. <laughs> it's going to be drowned out because that's what will convict you. Does that make sense? It's a difficult subject to explain. Read John Owen, he's better than me at it. Right, so, but that's the, that's the battle. So when that's going on, it's, you realise, wow, I've, I've no half shot out God here. Even though he's in you. 
even though he dwells in us as believers. And you should be convicted of it. The Holy Spirit's job is going to convict you of it. And you should be convicted of it and then you should repent and you should apologise as quickly as possible. And never mind the vulnerability hangover. You know, never mind, oh, I don't want to say sorry because I'll look bad. Just get that out. It's in itself a wonderful thing, don't you think? And this is the love of Christ. It's just, he does not leave us as orphans. He'll work in us and through us, bringing to completion the, the amazing work, the wonderful work that he started. And this is his promise to the disciples in the upper room. And they must crucify the flesh and in order to walk worthy of that gift. Eh. In fact, he asked you this, has any of you walked unworthy this week? Up toes, toes, toes. Acted unworthy. Well, we need to put on the, the new man, put off the old man. And it's no without obedience. And obedience is no without submission. And we can end up having this hyper grace message, but it's all grace. You get this hyper grace message. We had a guy at church last, when we just first found the word, we had a, a preacher at the church. He's almost what I'm talking about. And he's just such a hyper grace man. So it's all grace. It doesn't matter what you do. Just God loves you. It doesn't matter. So there's no obedience. Uh, so you don't need, a, you don't, there's no law. There's no commandment to adhere to. This, I think it's antinomian behaviour. Is the word, write that down if you don't know what that means. Study it later. Antinomian. It's all grace. Uh, Joseph Prince, kind of like that. All grace. So nothing's your responsibility. So obedience is not without submission and submission is not without gratitude. And gratitude is not without knowing the gift of grace. Say that again. Obedience is not without submission and submission is not without gratitude. And gratitude is not without knowing the gift of grace. What allows us to live like Christ in all our ways is, is to be as close as possible to understanding <laughs> the gift of grace that's been bestowed upon us. That while we were still sinners and dead in our sins and trespasses, he died for us. That's an amazing thing. And the gratitude in that is what brings us into a closer communion with God. And as I said about own, the key is to distinguish the direction of the spirit of grace and the spirit of the world. So as we're going about our daily life, our struggles, our battles, our minds taking us for a wonder, we're people pleasing and all, 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 the, all the emotions that we have on a daily basis, we have to then distinguish, is this, Am I walking towards a thought process of being like Christ or am I walking towards a thought process of being like the world? Am I behaving like Christ or am I behaving like the world? It's maybe a simpler way to say it. And therefore we have to be deliberate and not allowing our flesh to run a life. This is why it's so important to have, this is why it's so important to have fellowship. This is why it's so important to not be a one-man band. Because, I don't know about you, when I'm left to my own devices, I can justify anything. 
And this is why it's so important, the, the ecclesia that we meet as a body, that, that we meet as a body of believers, that we hold each other accountable. Because if you're not going to look in the mirror, your brother in Christ is going to be shining in the mirror. So if you're not looking at the mirror, you just look at your brother in Christ and he'll not be, he'll not be long in shining the mirror in your face. And he's not shining in the mirror, he's shining in who he is to you. Do you know what? Do you know what? <laughs> That's why you can be ranting and raving like a loon ball. I know there'll be people listening like, oh, he's away in loon ball. You can be ranting and raving and sinning and up to all sorts until a man of God or a, a, another brother or sister in Christ steps into your world and you can stop instantly. Why were you able to stop it? I can't stop it. I can't help it. I, you, what do you mean you can't help it? I can't help it. I bet you can help it as soon as they walk into your world. So that tells me that you could have, but you're just being defiant and you won't. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our disobedience, but we also need to act when it does convict us. So often the Holy Spirit convicts us, but then we don't respond to that conviction. We kind of drown it out because we step out, as it were, from the new man and walk in the carnal man and instead of putting on Christ, we walk in the flesh. It's a battle, isn't it? It's pretty obvious at this time, if you think about it, that the disciples are totally ill-equipped. It's so obvious the disciples are ill-equipped, therefore they're going to truly need a helper when Jesus departs from them. One who is like him. The Spirit of the Son and the Spirit of the Father, that's who the Holy Spirit is. It's the Spirit of the Son and the Spirit of the Father as a person. I said last week that we often make way too many references and comparisons to pre-baptizing the Holy Spirit disciples. Ah, well, Peter got it wrong. I'm getting it wrong. Peter wasn't he baptizing the Holy Spirit when he was getting it wrong. <laughs> ah, you know, the disciples messed up constantly. Cut yourself a bit of slack. They weren't baptizing the Holy Spirit. Start reading after Acts 2 about how much they messed up and it gets less and less and less and less. You can count one hand the amount of mess-ups they have after then. If you want to compare yourself to the apostles, why don't you compare yourself to them after Acts 2? <laughs> That's challenging, isn't it? Because <laughs> I've done it. I've done it. Hey, listen, I'm not talking about I've done this back in Pentecost. I've probably said that in the last few months. You know what, Peter, never know. Almost bringing encouragement to people. You know, Peter messed up and he was on the downward spiral and... Peter denied Christ, where none of us are perfect, you know, and God still used him. And you almost even say, and he walked with Jesus. So you're almost justifying why you're even worse. I mean, he walked with Jesus and messed up. So cut yourself a bit of slack. Stop trying to be a saint. Oh, but there's one difference here. They were no baptized in the Holy Spirit. So basically, basically, Jesus literally, literally was out of sight, out of mind. That's why when they went in to buy supplies, they were like, had to come back. Jesus says, go in and, but remember in John 4, my favourite scripture, I don't want to hear any of my favourite scripture, Jesus sends them away because they were of a warped sense. He's speaking to the woman at the well from Samaria and they go, go in, go in, and, go in and buy some supplies. No, Basically, go to my road, right? Uh, go to my road. Go to my road. You're going to just mess up my mission here, right? Away you go, and they all come back, didn't they? The perfect time after Jesus is just finished. It's, it's wonderful. And they come back, and they're like, 
Uh, come on, get some eat, Jesus. I'm getting some eat. And they're like, oh, Jesus, like, what? Go get some eat, come on. Don't be talking to her. That's what I like to talk to her. And he, like, you think you can almost read the narrative inside of Jesus, like, that's why I sent you away, because you would think like that. Come get some eat, and then he's like, my, 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 my food is to do the will of the Father. You remember? You remember the next scene? They get into the boat, and they're all talking like that. And Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He's talking about the pride and the puffed upness of the, of the religious people. And, and one of the disciples, I don't know, I think it was Peter, one of them turned around and says, who brought the bread? Now, they were away to buy supplies. Like, no, me. Did you bring the bread? I never brought the bread. Did you bring the bread? Well, no. He's asking about who brought the bread. He sent us away to buy supplies. We've come back when nothing. And obviously Jesus is talking about something else. The point is, often when the disciples were through the Holy Spirit, when they left Jesus, even though they understood because he gave them instruction and direction, and it's not that they didn't love him because he's put it in their heart, but because they didn't have the Holy Spirit, when they went into a town or went into places or departed for Jesus, they were, they could, of course, the Spirit could work in them and convict them, but they weren't walking fully in the Spirit. So the point is, stop making an excuse that you're like one of the disciples before Pentecost. Is <laughs> the point? <laughs> Using it as a comfort. Oh, there's my get out of jail free card. You see how Peter messed up? Oh, I'm all right. I'm just going to go mental. <laughs> We don't have that excuse. A saved person needs to work. Of course, they put Jesus in their minds, but many believers work hard to anesthetize him. Or at best, leave him dormant. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. Therefore, I remind you, you know we've been here. Uh, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. This is Paul Talking to young Timothy, for God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love of a sound mind. And Timothy at this point, is, as we know, he's, 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 he's got character flaws here. He's, he tends to be nervous. He's, he lacks confidence. He is timorous Tim, if you like. He, he, he doesn't like confrontation. He, he would rather not deal with this battle that he's facing as false teachings come in and people are dispersing. We know the whole story as we've been through it. And Paul is reminding Timothy again of who he is in Christ. Know whom he is in his old nature. And this is why I say this, and I've, I've, I've argued about this and debated about this. This is why in the modern church there's way too much talk, extensive talk in people's personal testimonies before they're saved. And so little talk of who they are now in Christ. It's all, you go to a modern church and you go, oh, we're getting this guy coming to speak, he's great. Oh, he was a drug dealer. He's amazing and he talks extensively and gets everybody to laugh forever about him being a drug dealer and all sorts of stuff and he was a drunk and he was this or he was a, a karate man who gets saved because he was a, some sort of hip man. No, no, from, from hip man, they, they, they have wee titles usually, didn't they? They've usually read titles from hip man to the god man. No, all that stuff. Okay, and what happens is their whole life before their saves always got a bigger, seem to have much more talk than their life and who they are in Christ. Carnal Christians love that. Carnal Christians prefer that. 
Spirit-filled believers want to hear about what somebody's living like in Christ, know what somebody's living like before Christ, much more. And Paul here's reminded Timothy again, if who he is in Christ and know whom he is, is the old man in no nature, to stir up the Greek word, anazapareo. Anazapareo, it means fan the burning ember. So if you imagine a fire, uh, and this is why the Greek's so amazing, because it just illuminates. So if you imagine a fire and all the embers are burning out, it's still, it's, it's, it's still got heat in it, but it's no stirred up, it's no flaming. So Paul's saying, stir up that flame, that fan the burning embers. So it's like a fire that's burning, but it's just smoldering away. And as believers, we have to stir up amongst each other. Now, we don't, now, now when you go to charismatic church, they say stirring up is doing a lap of victory. We're not talking about that. And they, 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 they stir up to the point of view that they think we've got holy marathon runners and flag wavers. and they, they stir up in all the wrong way. It becomes crazy. We don't mean that. We mean stir up to the point of view that we carry it. We become more like Christ. No more like a spiritual psychopath. Keep that fire burning. Keep your fire. Uh, Anaparezo en charisma theos. That's what it says, okay? Which means, stir up the gift of God. The gift, charisma, or get the word charisma, stir up the gift of God. And we have to keep stirring up the gift that God's gave us, his salvation. Keep your, we keep on thinking, oh, what's my gift? We're not going about that gift, we're going about the gift that God's gave you. We're not going about the gift of being a brilliant chef or a brilliant football player. Stir up the gift of being a brilliant football player. <laughs> so after Jesus said he would not leave or as his orphans I will come to you meaning sending the Holy Spirit which he did to them at Pentecost and now to all believers at the point of salvation okay that's, we better get to the text eh? that was just an introduction uh, John 14 verse 19 and a little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will also live. At that day, you will know that I am the Father, and you in me, and I in you. So here Jesus is given further comfort uh, and, and guidance uh, and commands and all sorts uh, explanation of how they will see him. People whose eyes are not open to Jesus will not see him when he's not there. It's no complex, eh? But a believer will because they know he's alive and exists through spiritual eyes. The world won't see him because the world needs to see Jesus in the flesh. This is what he's saying to the disciples. They'll need to see him in the flesh to know he exists. And even then, if they're not saved and they're not illuminated through the Holy Spirit, even if they do see him physically, Back then, no, no, if they see him in the flesh then, they've still only seen him as a man. It's only the spirit that lives in a believer that knows Jesus lives in whom he is. Isn't that not just another wonderful gift? That we know who Jesus is and we know he's alive because of the spirit that testifies him and dwells within us 
Now, at this point, the disciples are knowing the spirit. So it's understandable that they're saying, where are you going and why can't we come? And how will you know and how will people see you if you're no there? Yet what Jesus is explaining to them here is, and what John is witnessing to us through the word is that what a believer will experience, uh, and what they'll experience is the promise of a living God whom the world cannot see, but the Holy Spirit who dwells in us does. John Calvin says, as soon as a man begins to live by the Spirit, he at once is given eyes to see Christ. End quote. Isn't that wonderful? Let me add also that it's true that the world won't see him no more, but the disciples will also see him physically. So it's twofold here. The disciples will see him again physically because after the resurrection, they'll see him physically. So there's talk about that and, and different people's commentaries and that. I think Calvin says it better when he says, and Calvin says it better, no kidding, Mark. Right? Uh, Calvin says it better when he says, the main thing is about the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the, 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 the whole, that's the thing. But it's not that, it's the, the scripture is no without that they will see him physically. The whole world won't see him physically because he didn't visit the whole world after his resurrection. You know, when he walked to him on the beach, he, he made breakfast by the sea. The whole world didn't see him. It was only the 12. So both are true. But the main point is, is that the Holy Spirit coming to be with them, the advocate. When Jesus goes on, he's saying, in that day, it's again twofold. The day of his resurrection. Yeah, they'll see him in that day. And Pentecost. But, but also, and that day also probably refers to all the days. You'll see me in that day. And it's like, you'll see me all the days until my second coming. Uh, verse 21, he who has my commandment and keeps him, it is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus said in verse 15, if we remember, he's repeating this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And without our salvation, we will never be able to keep God's commandments. And without being saved, we cannot love Christ. And if we do not love Christ, the Father won't love us. So it's important to note here, um, it's not to be read as this. This is a very Roman Catholic way of interpreting the scripture. It's like... <sighs> Act right and I will love you and my father will love you. That's very, that's very Roman Catholic. It's almost that if I behave right, Jesus will love me. And if I don't behave right, Jesus won't love me. It's, it's, that's not the case. It's he first loved us. It's more because he's first loved us and you have, as it were, your spiritual eyes open in order for that to be true salvation. And Jesus is really explaining here the difference between true salvation and non-true salvation, if you like. Uh, and the Holy Spirit can no be attained by a non-believer. And that's his whole point. So let me say this. If someone is operating in the so-called spirit, okay, i.e. a medium, reiki spirit, Hovern or fallen Christ ways and no fallen Christ ways you know for certain even though they say that that spirit and what that spirit's telling them you know that that's not the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit can only come to a believer so therefore you know that that spirit's a there'll be a witch of some sort or a sorcerer of some kind or a deceiver of some kind so without the Holy Spirit we can no be obedient 
Now, a lot of these mediums say, you know what, well, God speaks to me and God uses me and through me. Really? You, really, that's the kind of spirit you've got? Yeah, that's the kind of spirit I've got. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's a different kind of spirit. Sorry, that's not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit testifies of Christ to do his work. <laughs> uh, and that only comes to a true believer. And a true believer wouldn't be operating with seances and all sorts of stuff. Without true salvation, we'll not be able to please God or stick to his ways or even attain his ways. This is why you see so many social Christians fall away. Even ones who were shabadabbing and all sorts, many of them have, because they've learned a behaviour. But no, to obey because obedience is only possible for a true believer. Of course, there are many believers who are avoiding obedience. And I'll guarantee you they'll have no peace whatsoever. They may look for it and try to recreate it, but they will never, if they're a genuine believer, be fully able to live a, a life like a believer. They won't be able to cope. Uh, they'll be struggling with guilt and shame, no matter what they try and do. They, they, they don't have any, and as a pareo and charisma theos. Uh, they're not stirring up the gift that's in them. That's the problem. Uh, okay, we need to close verse 22 to 24. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and says to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's whom sent me. Judas, not to be confused with the betrayer, uh, asked Jesus, bear in mind through these chapters 14 to 17, it's nearly all Jesus speaking. No, there's an odd part where somebody asks a question, it's all Jesus. And this truly is Jesus pouring his heart out to his disciples before he's arrested. So Judas, son of James, one of the 12, also known as Lebeus, there's another name for him. Uh, so he asks, in what way will you manifest yourself? I like how uh, Hendrickson puts it. He says, Judas, however, was probably thinking of a public manifestation by means of mighty miracles. See, they still can't get it because they're no, they're no in the Holy Spirit. They don't understand. What do you mean manifest yourself? The disciples could only really comprehend what they'd already witnessed. So how then will the, the world not see him is his question. Uh, it's a mixed up question for Judas and uh, maybe some of you ask that also if you're still in that place that how will we see you and they won't see you? Well, if you're early in your faith, you're trying to understand that and give language to that. This is a brilliant, this, this, this party text here as we wrap this up, this is a brilliant way to evangelise if you're talking to somebody here. This is a brilliant text to, to, to evangelise here. So people may be asked, how is it that you see Jesus and I don't see Jesus? And Judas, no, Scary, you can't get the idea of spiritual eyes. It's, it's a difficult thing when you've not been, it's an impossible thing if you've not been baptised in the Holy Spirit. So imagine this, someone says to you, is Jesus alive? You say, yes. They say, where? You say, well, he lives in me. They're like, what? You say, but he also lives in heaven. Right then. And, say, and you say, Jesus is 
And he said, Jesus is in you? I said, well, yeah, he's in me. Is he in me then? No. Well, where's Jesus? He says, well, he's sitting with the Father on the right-hand side. And, but I have the Spirit in me. So he's alive. Yeah, he's alive, but, but no physically except in me. You see the confusion here? This is the level of confusion the disciples are at because they've not been baptised in the Holy Spirit. Okay, why can't I see or feel him alive? Somebody says, how is it I can't even, how is it you can feel Jesus and I can't feel Jesus? It's not just a feeling. You say, well, you don't know him. And you can ask, do you want to know him? See, it's a, the whole section here is brilliant for evangelising. Do you want to know him? Here, Judas and the other ten are like, okay, tell, tell us again. But shows really that without the Holy Spirit, we will know truly, as we have read, see the true purpose and the manifestation of God. And then Jesus then says that again, he's distinguishing true believers for the world and it's the answer you should be given when evangelising. If that's a conversation you're in. So Jesus lives in me because I love him and I love him because he first loved me. Sounds like a riddle to a non-believer. And then you can say this, he loves you also. Even though we're Calvinists and predominantly most of us and we believe in predestination, it doesn't mean to say that you don't plead with somebody and you don't pour your heart out to ask them if they want to accept Jesus into their life. And say he loves you also. And he says, does he? Yeah. Would you like to receive that love of Christ? I'm not sure. Can he love somebody I've no seen? I'm telling you, Jesus loves you. It's no as simple as that. You can, you can get and talk about that, dying for your sins, all sorts of stuff. And he wants to be with you. And I'm saying, if you call on him and invite him in, he will come and make a home with you. That's what I'm saying. And that's why he's made his home in me. Because he first loved me and I love him. Because of all he's done. And this is what the disciples don't get. But think of this as a wrap up. Right at this moment where the disciples are, at this moment in scripture, and where you're at this moment, think about this. Even they walked with Jesus for three years, you know more than them about that. Isn't that amazing? So when the, Jesus was, when the disciples were in the upper room, they know less about understanding Jesus than you do. Why? And that changes, of course. The moment they get saved, uh, the moment they get saved, and God chooses, why? Sorry for us. The moment we get saved and God chooses us, we were instantly baptized in the Holy Spirit. So we had spiritual eyes. At this point, the disciples have not. I'm going to close with a quote of John Owen, seeing as we talked about him much today, and I love this. He says this. Then when his heart was overflowing with love unto his disciples and care for them, when he took a holy prospect of what would be their condition, their work, duty and temptations in the world and thereon, made provision of all that they could stand in need of. He promises to leave and give unto them his Holy Spirit to abide with them forever, directing us to look unto him 
for all our comforts and supplies. We'll conclude next week with the, the last part of the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. I'll say this to close and make it confuse some of in your early journey here though. We have spiritual eyes when we get saved. The reason you know who Jesus is and he's alive today is because the minute you get saved, your eyes were open. I'd heard of Jesus. I'd heard fleeting statements about Jesus through my life. Uh, I'd even maybe read parts of the Bible. Uh, not much, but I'd read parts of the Bible. I'd prayed. I'd been to different Sunday schools, all sorts. We've all had different experiences with God in our life. Uh, young people have, are studying and having different understanding of God and his life. Uh, but it's not until it's not until that moment that moment where Jesus comes and makes a home in you where the, the Holy Spirit illuminates and you say I don't just say Jesus is alive I know he's alive because he lives in me it's a wonderful thing and because of that that Holy Spirit living in us will bring us to completion constantly sanctifying us he'll no leave us as orphans So we have to preach, bring the gospel to people, tell them, I don't get that. How is it I don't see Jesus in your day? And you cannot save anybody. It has to be only through the work of the Holy Spirit will we'll save somebody. But that does not mean to say that we do all we can, that they would hear the gospel. Pleading with them. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, when he preached, when about the aisles and the altars, he didn't want anybody to leave until they gave their life to Jesus. Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk.